Good morning, everybody, and welcome to River Ridge Church Online. My name is Sam, and I am super glad to be leading our time in the Word this morning. It's a huge honor. Um, thank you so much for tuning in, for being here, wherever you're watching from this morning. We're so glad that you're here. Uh, we are in the middle of a sermon series called What's Up? And if you are as annoyed as I am every time that intro video plays and the speakers are crackling and people are yelling, uh, I'm not going to say What's Up one more time. You do not have to hear it from me. I will spare everybody from hearing What's Up one more time. Uh, but this has been a great series where we've been taking stock of some of the important for, uh, important relationships in our life. And today we're going to be talking about friendships. So as I was thinking about this sermon, I started thinking about some of the amazing friendships that are in uh, the world, that these dynamic duos that exist. And, and so I want to just share a couple of those with you this morning. Um, first up, we've got Obi-Wan Kenobi and Qui-Gon Jinn. There's a picture of them right there, Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon. I mean, these guys discovered Anakin Skywalker. They defeated Count Dooku. I mean, the galaxy is indebted to these two. Uh, then we've got Scooby and Shaggy. Next up, Scooby and Shaggy. I mean, this duo stopped more bad guys than I can count. They had an incredible friendship together. And for the little ones at home, we've got Susie Sheep and Peppa Pig. I mean, come on, what a great friendship do those two have. And then we've got Ricky Bobby and Cal Naughton Jr. All right, I mean, until the whole divorce situation, these guys were the best team in racing. Nothing stood between them and what they were trying to accomplish. And then lastly, we have Pat White and Steve Slayton. And need I say any more than that? And so I started thinking about these duos and all the incredible things that they did together. But on their own, who knows? You know, uh, Qui-Gon had kind of a little bit of a gambling problem, and Obi-Wan kept his head on straight. And Scooby and Shaggy were scared of their own shadows, but they seemed to accomplish a lot together. Ricky Bobby was super arrogant, but Cal tended to keep him grounded. And Pat White and Steve Slayton were incredible athletes on their own, but you put them out in a field together, and they were unstoppable. And then I started thinking about my own friendships that I have in my life. And I realized that it's been about a year since I've had what I would call normal friendships. Uh, and, and, you know, Katie and I usually host parties at our house. And we have people over a lot. Um, but, you know, since this whole COVID thing started, we haven't had more than five people at our house at a time. And it's just felt weird. I don't feel as close to my friends right now as I did this time last year. And in a new year, especially one that is off to such a rocky start like 2021, we need healthy spiritual friendships. If we're going to tackle the challenges that are ahead of this year, like ahead of us this year, like political division and racial unrest and a raging pandemic, we're going to need to rely on our spiritual friendships. If we want to grow in our relationship with Jesus this year, if we're going to grow as humans and make a positive change in the world, we're going to need like-minded spiritual friends to help us do it. And so that's where we're going to be spending our time together this morning. We're going to be asking ourselves questions like these. How are my friendships? How are my relationships with like-minded people who can spur me on to love and good deeds? How are those friendships that encourage me to walk with Jesus? 
How are those friendships that challenge me and hold me accountable to the sin that's in my life? Are those friendships great? Probably not. Are they good? Maybe. Are they weak? More than likely. Are they non-existent? That could be the case. You know, maybe you need to think about, do you put yourself in positions where you can have friends? Are you surrounded by like-minded people? Are you involved in a ridge group? Are you, uh, maybe if you're middle school or high school, do you take advantage of some of the, the stuff that our church does for people your age? Do you have a, a friend that you meet with? Do you have a mentor? Do you have people that are pouring into your life? So this morning, we're going to talk about some foundational components for spiritual friendships, and hopefully you'll walk away with a few applications for your life. So let's pray together, and then we can dive in. Heavenly Father, we invite you into our presence this morning, wherever we're watching from. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be found pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So I mentioned some incredible friendships like Scooby and Shaggy, but the theme of incredible friendships carries over to the Bible as well. And there are countless examples of healthy spiritual friendships that God has used throughout the history uh, of, of accomplishing his goals. He's used these amazing friendships. So for the rest of our time together this morning, we're going to look at several of these friendships and what we can learn from them. And with each friendship, we're going to walk away with a specific component for a strong foundation of spiritual friendships. And so the first real friendship that we're going to look at this morning is David and Jonathan. So if you're not familiar with David and Jonathan's story, a quick recap is that Jonathan was the, king, was the son of King Saul of Israel. And uh, David was a shepherd boy who grew up to be a great soldier. And God said that he would be the next king of Israel instead of Saul's son, Jonathan. And so you think that that would cause some tension in the friendship of David and Jonathan. But it was actually the opposite. David and Jonathan's friendship was something of epic proportions. They cared so deeply for each other that one time when Saul went a little bit crazy and tried to kill David, Jonathan hatched this incredible plan that involved shooting an arrow into the sky and it was a signal for David to flee. And he left town and then Jonathan and David met up in the woods and they're crying together because they weren't sure if they were going to see each other again. They loved each other. And at the end of Jonathan's life, David said that the love that they shared was greater than the love of a woman. These guys were best friends. And so for the purposes of looking at spiritual friendship this morning, I want to read a story from the very beginning of their friendship. And this is in 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 1. It says this, After David had finished talking with Saul, he met with Jonathan, the king's son. There was an immediate bond between them, for Jonathan loved David. Jonathan loved David. This simple statement leads us to our first bullet point this morning. And these bullet points are going to be in the form of questions that can help you analyze your friendships. So the first question is this. Do you have spiritual friendships built on love? Do you have spiritual friendships built on love? But the story doesn't stop there. And we hear the word love tossed around a lot. But what does it mean? What can we learn from David and Jonathan and on how to define love? So it continues in verse 2. It says, From that day on, David, or sorry, from that day on, Saul kept David with him and wouldn't let him return home. And Jonathan made a solemn pact with David because he loved him as he loved himself. Jonathan sealed the pact by taking off his robe and giving it to David, together with his tunic, sword, bow, and belt. 
Jonathan loved David as he loved himself. Jonathan cared for David and his well-being as much as he cared about his own. And he exhibited this love when he gave David his robe, which was a sign of status in that day. You know, Jonathan was the king's son. He was entitled to more status than anybody. But he gave that status to David. Jonathan gave David belonging. Jonathan gave David status. He gave David a secure future. He sacrificed himself for this. He let go of some things so that David could be lifted up. So let me ask you this, a few questions for reflection. Put yourself in David's shoes. Are there people in your life who love you, who who make that love evident by sacrificing for you? Do you allow yourself to be in vulnerable relationships? Do you allow yourself to be loved by these people? Maybe maybe you don't feel that. Maybe you just don't see it. Are you you, uh, thankful enough to realize the people in your life that love you? Now put yourself in Jonathan's shoes. Do you care about others as you care for yourself? Do you make simple sacrifices for those who are around you? Do you allow yourself to be in vulnerable friendship with someone where a deep love can grow and encourage your walk with Jesus? Someone who is great at this is my friend Paul. And uh, Paul is a sacrificial, loving person. Paul and his wife Faith felt the call to full-time ministry and left a comfortable life in suburban Pittsburgh to start Young Life in McDowell County. And uh, Paul has a bunch of kids, and Faith works long hours at the hospital. And so all day long, uh, Paul cares for his kids. He teaches them. He, he, he makes them meals. And when his Young Life volunteers have issues, he solves those problems, and he drives them somewhere. He helps them plan an event. Paul lives all day for people who are not himself. And then when Faith gets home and all the kids are in bed, Paul literally brews a pot of coffee and gets started on his day. And he works long into the night to accomplish the things that he wants to do. Paul is someone who loves those around him in big and sacrificial ways. So if you want to grow in your relationship with Jesus, you're going to need friends and be a friend who loves like Paul. The second friendship that we're going to look at this morning is Naomi and Ruth. And what you need to know about that is that Naomi and Ruth are related. Okay, Uh, Naomi is Ruth's mother-in-law, and Ruth was from a different country, and she married one of Naomi's daughters. Uh, Sorry, she married one of Naomi's sons. Uh, So Naomi has two daughters-in-law, one of whom is Ruth, and neither of them have sons. and, And that's important because in this crazy turn of events, Naomi, Ruth, and the other daughter-in-law all lose their husbands. And in that day and age, a woman who didn't have any sons, who didn't have a husband, they they didn't have a a way through life. They didn't have an inheritance. And so Naomi made this decision that she would have to go back to her home country so that her family could take uh, take care of her. And at this point, Naomi makes an announcement to her daughters-in-law. And this is in Ruth 1, verse 8. It says, But on the way, Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back to your mother's homes, and may the Lord reward you for your kindness to your husbands and to me. May the Lord bless you with the security of another marriage. Then she kissed them goodbye, and they all broke down and wept. So basically, Naomi is saying, go back to your people. You don't need me, an old widow. You have your whole life in front of you. Go back to your country. Go back to your people where you can remarry and have a life. And it says that she kissed them goodbye, and she broke down and wept. And so at this point, the other daughter-in-law leaves. But 
Ruth doesn't. And, and listen to what she says. And this is on the inside of my wedding ring, by the way. Not this one. This one's rubber, but my real wedding ring. Uh, this is verse uh, 116. It says, But Ruth replied, Don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she said nothing more. Ruth was determined. Don't ask me to leave. Where you go, I'll go. Where you live, I'll live. In this moment, Ruth showed great commitment to Naomi. And so that brings us to our second question for reflection this morning. Do you have spiritual friendships that are built on commitment? Do you have spiritual friendships that are built on commitment? Ruth was bought in. Nothing was taking her away from Naomi. Her commitment was lifelong and it was sincere. So let me ask you a few questions. Put yourself in Naomi's shoes. Are there people in your life who say this kind of thing to you, who believe in you, who are on your side and watch your back no matter what comes your way? Now put yourself in Ruth's shoes. Do you allow the walls around your life to be lowered enough to make this kind of commitment to someone? A spouse is one thing. A child is one thing. But Naomi and Ruth were essentially friends at this point. They, they had no family connection anymore. Are you willing to expose yourself to the great bond and great fruit that can come from making this kind of commitment to someone? To be there for them no matter what life throws their way. To walk alongside of them no matter how life gets, no matter how dark life gets. You know, someone who's great at being committed to the friends in their life is my mom, Susan. She's a deeply committed friend. She's a fierce fighter for the people who are in her life, and she always lifts up the good in those around her. Uh, Twice during the pandemic, she traveled across the country to help friends who needed someone to help with big life transitions. Travel, money, health. My mom commits it all to her friends. She's bought in. She's committed. So if you want to grow in your relationship with Jesus, you're going to need friends and be a friend who is committed like Susan. The next friendship that we're going to look at this morning is Job and his three friends. Okay, they're kind of one entity, his three friends. And I'm sure you've heard the story of Job, but a quick recap is that Job was the wealthiest man in the world. I wrote a paper about him for a class one time, and the way that his wealth is described is is greater than most countries of that time in terms of his livestock and cattle and things like that. But the most interesting thing about Job is not his wealth, but it's his faith. Uh, Job was considered by God himself to be the most faithful man on earth. I mean, that's not a bad gig, right? Like, I mean, you know, you're the richest man in the world and God's best friend. Like, you know, I'll, I'll take that. But because of Job's great faith, God allows a lot of bad things to happen to him simply to test whether or not Job will keep his faith. And Job loses everything, his family, his livestock, everything is destroyed and taken away from him. And naturally, Job mourns. He rips his clothes and he covers his head with dirt and he sits on an ash pile and he cuts his arms with stones. He's in a deep, dark place. And I'm I'm sure that it doesn't take you too long to think of a moment where you've been in a deep, dark place, where you can relate to Job like that. 
So Job's friends catch wind of what's happening to him. And if you've read the story, you know that Job's friends like royally mess this up at the end. But at the beginning, they crush it. They hit a home run. And the key to their success is their silence. Listen to this, Job 2, verse 12. It says, When they saw Job from a distance, they scarcely recognized him. Wailing loudly, they tore their robes and they threw dust in the air over their heads to show their grief. Then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and nights. No one said a word to Job, for they saw that his suffering was too great for words. So what did they do? Simply, they matched Job. They matched his mood. They ripped their robes and they covered themselves with dust and they sat on the ground for days and they didn't say a word. Job was suffering, so they suffered with him. Suffering with is the root term for the English word sympathy, suffering with. So that brings us to our third question for reflection this morning. Do you have spiritual friendships that are built on sympathy? Do you have spiritual friendships that are built on sympathy? Suffering with, do you have people in your life that you do this with. So put yourself in Job's shoes. I mean, what greater feeling than knowing that your friends are in this with you? They are suffering with you. Life, life is hard, and 2020 was just the tip of the iceberg in terms of how bad life can get sometimes. Do you have people who can walk alongside of you in your suffering and sympathize with you? Do you let people into those deep areas of hurt and allow them to apply the sweet salve of friendship? Now think of yourself as Job's friends. Do you suffer with others? Or are you too busy? Or are you too inward looking in your own life to notice the suffering of those around you? Do you mourn with them? There's so many places in the Bible that tell us to mourn. You know, don't rush to an answer. Don't feel like you need to explain away all the circumstances. Simply mourn. If, you're, if your friend loses a loved one, you don't need to give them some story about how it's all in God's plan and all of this, but just mourn with them. They need you to weep with them. Someone who's great at this is my friend Dylan Frex. You know, Dylan deeply feels the pain of other people. He sits with it. He processes it. He walks alongside people who are in pain or anxious or downtrodden, and he takes their pain on like it's his own. Uh, My senior year, I made the uh, ill-advised decision to go to WVU for college. And, uh, and you know, I never liked any of my tours there. I I always felt like it was too big for me. And so I went there uh, to move in, and uh, I realized that I hadn't prayed about it. I I hadn't uh, done what I wanted to do. I just thought that people expected me to do it. And so I drove home. (laughs) We turned around, and we went home. And uh, when I got home, a lot of people said a lot of things to me. They treated me like a problem to be solved. They said things like, well, you, you have to go to college somewhere. Uh, what's your plan? What's your plan? What's your plan? Like right then. I'm like, I don't know what my plan is right now. Uh, they said things like, you better get your life straightened out. It's like all of a sudden we turn 18 and we have to have everything figured out. Or uh, you're making the biggest mistake you'll ever make. That was a big one. You're making the biggest mistake you'll ever make. And some people said, you're being a baby. Like just tough it out. Like you're just being nervous. But even though I knew deep down that I was doing the right thing for me, those, those things still hurt to hear. And so enter Dylan. Uh, Dylan was one of the few friends of mine that was in the Charleston area for college. And we started hanging out every day, and we had both recently made decisions that we were going to make our faith the most important thing about our life, the defining factor that everything else flowed from. And so we took those next steps together. Uh, Dylan never said any of those hurtful statements to me, anything that resembled that. But he knew that I just needed a friend who would act like life was normal. 
And, and that's what we did. We acted like life was normal. He sympathized with me. We did life together. So if you want to grow in your relationship with Jesus, you're going to need friends and be a friend who is sympathetic like Dylan. And the last friendship that we're going to look at this morning is Jesus and Peter. And so I don't know how much you know about Peter, uh, but there's two things you need to know for this morning. Uh, Number one, Peter is the guy, okay? Jesus has said, Peter, you're the guy. You are going to lead the church after I'm gone. I'm risking it all on you. Uh, And so the second thing is that Peter's not really the kind of person that you would want to risk it all on. He's, He's a little bit of a question mark. He fumbles things around a lot. He makes a lot of mistakes. He fails a lot. And so this morning I want to look at one time where he failed and what Jesus does in that moment. So um, Jesus is saying to his disciples that he's going to have to die to complete his mission on earth. And the disciples are like, what? No, like that's not going to happen. And so Peter says something. It says, Peter took him aside. This is Matthew 16, 22. Uh, Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. Heaven forbid, Lord, he said, this will never happen to you. Jesus turned to Peter and said, get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap to me. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. (laughs) Whoa, Jesus, okay, like we get it, you know, like, uh, okay, Satan, (laughs) you know, like that seems a little bit extreme. But what Jesus is saying is that the the devil is working in, in Peter in that moment. You know, what's, what's crazy is that the Jesus says, it's a done deal. Like, this guy is going to lead the church. But Jesus is saying that, that sin and evil is kind of distracting him and holding him back in that moment. So what does Jesus do? He, he challenges him. He challenges Peter. And he says, you know, man, you're looking at this from a human point of view, not, not from God's point of view. This is, this is sin speaking in your life right now. It's not God speaking. And so that brings us to our fourth and final reflection question this morning. Do you have spiritual friendships that are built on challenge? Do you have spiritual friendships that are built on challenge? Jesus was helping Peter acknowledge the sin in his life and challenging him to see life from God's perspective. So put yourself in Peter's shoes. Do you grant this kind of access to the friends in your life? Do you let people speak truth into your life or do you snap at them and not take their advice? When I let people into my life uh, or I'm talking to like some of my young life friends about holding each other accountable, I refer to this as a hunting license. Uh, if you want to hunt on public property, you have to get a license that shows that you are allowed to be there. It proves the fact that you can, you can hunt there. Um, and, and so if you're serious about growing in your relationship with Jesus, there need to be people in your life who have a hunting license, who are allowed to be there, who are allowed to shoot the sin out of your life, who are, who are allowed to, to step in and say things like, you're wrong. You are wrong. You messed up. You didn't love that person like Jesus does. People who can help you grow by helping you differentiate between what is good and what is bad in your life. So now think of yourself as Jesus. Do you regularly step in and step up in boldness and, and, and courage and challenge those friends in your life? Do you, do you inspire them in their walk with Jesus? Do you ask them how their faith is? Do you lovingly show them where they've been wrong so that they can become better imitators of Jesus? Someone who's great at this is my friend J.B. Ward. Uh, when I was first volunteering with Young Life, J.B. challenged me spiritually in ways that I'd never been challenged before. He pointed out the good things in my life uh, to keep doing, and he graciously and tenderly drew my attention to the bad things that I needed to cut out. 
But his challenging of me wasn't just spiritual. It was also tangible and life decisions. Uh, when we decided to take a big trip together before he moved to Pittsburgh, uh, he brought up the idea to go to South America, to go to Peru. And honestly, the idea scared me a little bit because we didn't speak the language and we were going to be doing some dangerous hiking trips. And, uh, but, but he encouraged me, he challenged me to try something new and to be bold and to put myself out there. And, and the trip turned out to be the trip of a lifetime. It was amazing. So if you want to grow in your relationship with Jesus, you're going to need friends and be a friend who challenges like JB. So, so there they are. There, there is the four components of a spiritual foundation for healthy spiritual friendships. Love, commitment, sympathy, challenge. Love like Paul. Commit like Susan. Sympathy like Dylan. Challenge like JB. These form the foundation of a healthy spiritual friendship. And and ultimately, we have the example of all examples in our Savior, our grace-filled Savior in Jesus, who embodies all of these components perfectly. Jesus loved sacrificially to the point of death on a cross so that you and I might live the life we were made for. Jesus was committed to the people in his life to the point of voluntarily laying down his life to pay the price for the world's sin. Jesus was sympathetic, being fully human and fully God, able to understand the challenges that we will face in a year like 2021. And Jesus challenges, calling you and I to follow in his footsteps, being the aroma of Christ to all who are around us. So let's go into the world this week together, encouraged to love, commit, sympathize, and challenge our friends. And likewise, allow ourselves to be loved, to be committed to, to be sympathized with, and to be challenged all for the glory of the one who has called us to himself. Let me pray. God, thank you for the sweet gift of friendship and the examples of it that are in Scripture. Help us to learn from these relationships and apply it in our lives this week. Lead us into situations where we can grow in love, grow in commitment, grow in sympathy, and grow in challenge. Also that we may grow in our likeness of you, and causing earth to look more like heaven along the way. In your name, amen. Hey, thanks for being with us this morning. Have a great week.